Okay, we're going to continue our series on grace today, so turn with me over to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. Verses 14 through 16. The title of the message is Access from the Throne. Access from the Throne. Grace, Access from the Throne. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, what we get to approach. Two, what we get to accept. And three, what we must acquire. We're not quite sure who the writer of Hebrews is, but it probably can only be a couple of guys because the two most prominent smart folk, I mean the big brains in Scripture with respect to Hebrew tradition, Hebrew religion, and then gospel, redemptive benefit, are Paul and Apollos. Those two were the intellectuals in Christianity of their day and had the ability to communicate what they had in their brain. So you've got to have some unique qualifications to be able to write like this. And I think the, the letter was written by Paul simply because he had more information about what Christ did on the cross through Old Testament writ than anybody we find in all of the other epistles, meaning the other letters that are in the New Testament. Peter was very smart. He was a wise man, but he wasn't like Paul. In fact, Peter says about Paul's letters, I can't figure them out. He says they are hard to get. And so he's sitting there looking at what Paul is trying to convey, saying, that's deep, bro. That's real deep. Now, Paul, Peter's information was exhortive. It was really important, but not as much Old Testament brought into new. Paul did this with regularity and with ease. The other guy was Apollos, who I think we find in Acts 17, I think. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila are trying to figure out how to help him more understand. That's when we are introduced to Apollos. But he was preaching this gospel with power. Priscilla and Aquila help him in the process of becoming more acquainted with, with accuracy about who Jesus is. And Priscilla and Aquila were hap happened to be companions of Paul in ministry. Uh, they bring Apollos in, and then Apollos becomes one of the apostles, and it's really, really cool. So those two are probably the only ones who qualify to be uh, able to write the book of Hebrews and to be respected by the rest of the church as being credible. And I think it's probably Paul, though I cannot uh, verify that. I can't confirm it. Um, but I think it's probably him because he's the only one that would have would have tried to keep his name concealed from a letter written to the Hebrews. Because every, every Jewish believer, not Jewish Christian, but Jewish believer, not just born of Abraham, but somebody who really believed in Jewish law and all of the traditions, would have probably heard of Paul and thought he was a heretic. And would, they definitely didn't like him. Every place he went, they were trying to kill him. So he probably wouldn't have wanted to put his name on anything he was writing to those people to help win them because they would have immediately dismissed it. So the absence of a name makes me think, that sounds like Paul. 
because he would have been the only one that would have had the reason, a reason to not put his name on it. Everybody else would have wanted it. After they would have read the truth, they would have said, this stuff is right. And then afterwards, they may have found out Paul wrote it and said, oh, but it's right. Oh, but it's right. So I think it was Paul. Having said that, regardless of who wrote it, wow. <laughs> Flat wow. Information they pull out from the old and bring it to the new. Wow. And here we have stuff about who Jesus was outside of his personal ministry on the planet, his, his bodily ministry on the planet. What happened afterwards? And as a result of his living right here, what happened afterwards? We don't have a high priest that is unacquainted with our weaknesses. But he's been through everything through which we've been, yet without sin. No flaw, no lag in his game. Every bit of his life was right on point. And people who live, people who live at a very high level or do something at a very high level, generally don't, don't, they don't have the mercy that you would like to see for people who can't do what they do. In fact, they do it at such a high level, sometimes they forget that they are extraordinary and, and look at other people and say, why can't you do that? I did it. You do it. Parents, Brett, I left home at 17, never came back. Hmm? What we do that's, that's really right, we sometimes superimpose our righteousness on others, and then you can become self-righteous. Got to be careful. Here's a man who did it all right and decided to give mercy to those who can't. We don't have a high priest who's unacquainted with our weaknesses, but one who went through everything we went through yet without sin, perfect. And yet, when he gets on his throne, what does he distribute but mercy? Therefore, he says, Let's have, we have confidence. When we approach the throne, we ought to have confidence. Why? Because, listen, somebody actually did it right and likes us. There, for, the, for the first time in all of whatever eternity looks like, when Jesus rose from the dead, our bodies, humanity, was forever represented in heaven. It wasn't prior. Flesh and blood actually sat on the throne. Therefore, we've got somebody who identifies with us and understands the struggle through which we go every day and how handicapped we are. Yes, it's our fault when we sin. But we have the right to blame Adam. We were born this way. We can't help it. Save the grace of God. We will continue in wrong every day. Being wrong and doing wrong. There is no way we can help ourselves or heal ourselves. Humanity is lost without God. Yet there is one who came. Unstained by the sin of Adam, what we call original sin, and that he is actually the son of Almighty God, birthed from the word, encased in a human being, brought into the earth through Mary, and then allowed the privilege of living in the kind of cesspool in which we live. 
Going through everything through which we go. And I'm talking successful with respect to what he had. I mean, heaven ain't bad. Heaven's a nice place to live. And whatever we have here could not be described as well as being living in a ghetto. Not compared to what he had. And he chose to do this because he cared about us. And he wrapped himself in his humanity and all of our experience and subjected himself to all the stuff through which we go and even did so on an unequal playing field. It wasn't level. He said this, I'm going to work out for 40 days straight and not eat. I ain't even going to take no Gatorade. And then the enemy going to come to me and ask me if I'm hungry. I'm going to beat him then. I'm going to beat him then. No, 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 no. I know what the word says. I'm not going to do this because I live by other stuff than just bread. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So your inspiration about understanding my hunger, you don't understand how hungry I am. I'm hungry for his word now more than ever, more than my necessary food for my body. He beat him on an unlevel playing field where he was as weak as he possibly could be. So that we could understand what victory looks like. Because he had a human body like ours. Yet in the midst of his victory, he doesn't say, pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, boy. I did it, you do it. No, 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 he realizes we can't. And so he sympathizes with our weakness. He doesn't try to condemn us for our weakness. He sympathizes with our weakness. Aren't you glad God looks at you like that? Now, it doesn't mean he excuses your sin. Mm -mm -mm -mm. He still realizes the cost that it took to get you right. It was painful. Nail prints in his hands, he gets to keep. Nail prints in his feet, he gets to keep. That's not an indication that if you are, you are ravaged by some kind of malady here on the earth and when you get to heaven, it's going to be that way when you get there. That if you are bound to a wheelchair, you'll be bound to a wheelchair in heaven. No, you get a brand new body. Jesus gets to keep his scars because they are a reminder to him and us what it costs to pay for us. And every time we see him, we'll see a lamb as slain for our benefit. It was hard. It was difficult. It was tough. But he loved us like that. And in the midst of his victory, he doesn't demand from us the same kind of perfection in order to access heaven. He was the only one who could do it. The only one on the basis of merit who could go from here to there. Nobody else has ever done it. Nobody was ever qualified because we all came from Adam and we had all blown it. You can't take sin to glory. No flesh tainted by it can get there. The only way you can get there is if you are perfect. We don't qualify, but when Jesus died for us and cleansed us from all of our sin, paid our penalty on the cross, and then transferred his righteousness to ours, just like in the reverse, Adam transferred his sin to us. He transferred his righteousness to us. So though there was original sin, now there's original righteousness. Are you listening to me? You are not a sinner because you sinned. You are a sinner because Adam sinned. And when you sin, all you do is confirm that you are a sinner. You are not righteous because of what you do. Listen to me. If you don't take anything away from this sermon, you take this point. You are not righteous because of what you do. You are not good because of what you do. You are not good at all. 
The only reason you are good is because Jesus transferred his goodness to you and you got born again. You were born from Adam. He transferred his sin to you. Now you're born again. Jesus transfers his righteousness to you. That's the way you can be seen as righteous even when you blew it yesterday. Some of y'all didn't blow it yesterday. <laughs> even when you blew it yesterday, even when you had an argument with your spouse on the way to church today and you thought bad thoughts and you came in with them and you know you can't worship with that mess. You got imputed righteousness. You, didn't, you don't get righteous because you do right. You do right because you are righteous. You confirm your righteousness by doing. We have a high priest who understands our weakness and realizes they can't help themselves, so I have to help them. And he mercifully grants us things. The writer is saying, Therefore, hold on to your confidence. Not the confidence that comes from your own doing, but the confidence that comes from what he did. You hold on to that confidence. Every day you got to hold on with white knuckles. I never get them, but some of y'all do. White knuckles. (laughs) I don't blush either. Some of y'all do. I don't. You got to hold on with white knuckles. And believe that what you believe is bigger than what you can't do. You will never be perfect on your own, but he was. So you hold fast to your confidence of what he's done every day of your life. Now, it doesn't mean that you aren't required to do. Since you are righteous, you are required to be the person that proves what Jesus did through your life by being righteous, doing right things in the earth. That's what a witness is. Somebody who can then live what they believe. And when you don't live what you believe, people question, are you really right? I know a Christian's supposed to be this way, but you don't seem anything like what I know a Christian's supposed to be. I don't know my Bible, but I know good sense. And good sense says a Christian doesn't do this. And why are you doing that? It doesn't deny who you are in God. It just makes everybody else question. And now they don't want to follow them because they think, you do that? I do that. Why do I need to follow a God if you... I can do that and not follow God. Whoa, 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 whoa. This high priest helped us. And it says that therefore when we hold on to that confidence, we get to do something. He says, come before the throne of grace so that you might find two things, might actually find one thing and get another, that you might get, receive mercy and find grace. Receive mercy and find grace. Receiving mercy is what everybody wants. I mean, you know you're messed up. You know you need forgiveness. You know you sinned yesterday. You know you're probably going to sin tomorrow. You know you're probably thinking bad thoughts right now that are sinful about somebody that you, you need to talk to after the service. You know there are issues in your life. You've got a lot of issues. Cynthia and I were watching a program yesterday on psychiatry. I don't know if it was right, but it sure did confirm some things in my own soul. That there is no such thing as normal when it comes to humans. Normal doesn't exist. We all got psychological problems. Anybody not? Just ask your spouse. (laughs) A 
all you got to do. They know you're weird in the brain. They know you got problems. We all have our little idiosyncrasies, our little things that get, peop- get on people's nerves, but we like them a lot. <laughs> Corey, you, you ain't got one of those? <laughs> you got them. <laughs> we all have those little things. I got them. Cynthia just says, mm. <laughs> There's no such thing as normal. Everybody has a touch of abnormality in their psychology. You just touched everybody. And and what we do is is we level out. We call normal less bad, less hurtful, less dangerous. That's what we call normal. But it doesn't mean they are. It just means that everybody else is worse. All of us need help. We all need help because we are sinners. And so God says, I understand your weakness. I get it. So I've ascended to my spot not to to be him who is looking down on everybody else because they can't do it. I've ascended to my spot so that I can grant you mercy. Come to the throne so you can receive mercy. I think Buckingham Palace is a place where Queen Elizabeth spends most of her time. She's got a bunch of big houses where she can live. But I think Buckingham Palace is the spot. Do you know you just can't walk up into Buckingham Palace and say, I'd like to see the Queen, please? You can't. You have to be invited. In our egalitarian society, I mean, we don't understand monarchies very well because we're America. In our egalitarian society, we don't have one of those, but we do have the president. And you can't go knock on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and say, hey, I want an audience. I'd like to see President Trump, please. No, no, no. There are some very strong men with guns that will help you out. (laughs) They will lead you to the place where you ought to be. You have to have an invitation. And if you got an invitation to see Queen Elizabeth, ladies, how long would it take you to get on the Internet at Norseville? To get a new dress, make your appointment for your nails, get the hair appointment, get your plane ticket, and then post to everybody you have been invited to see the queen. How long would it take you, like five minutes to do all that? You run around shouting, the queen invited me to England to see her. The king of the universe. who runs the queen, has invited you, given you access every day to his throne. And we rarely take advantage of it. You're too busy. You got to go to work. You got to feed the kids. You got to cut the grass. All needful things. But you would make time for the queen. You'd hire a service to cut your grass for the queen. At the throne, there is mercy. And God wants to give it. That's all he's wanted to do is give you mercy. And we need it. We need every morning I rise. And I don't know if it's religious 
or, or right or both. But the words that come out of my mouth are, Lord, have mercy on me today. I need mercy more than I know. Have mercy. He says he grants it. He gives it. And then he gives you the ability to find grace. Now, grace sometimes is a little difficult to find because you've got to navigate through all of your insecurities in your own soul because grace is that which helps you. It's intended to help you be what you cannot be on your own and do what you cannot do on your own. And most of us like our comfort zones. So we want to stay exactly where we are. We're not trying to change. and We're not trying to do more. So grace is that which you've got to find. Otherwise, you'll just lean back on all the things you've done, the way you've done them all the time. Parents, let me give you an example. You've parented a certain way, and somebody did something not right in the house, and you identified their wrongness, but you did it in such a way that had a lot of frustration. And you might be a little embarrassed if Jesus in his, his, his bodily form were there watching you and cr- critiquing your parenting. You know, you raised your voice very definitively there. And it scared them. And although you had truth, they didn't hear it. All they heard was the elevation of your voice. By the way, does the father ever treat you like that? Hmm. So, in those... Hello, did I just lose you? I think the whole place just went under the table. The... The, the, the thing is this, when you enter the, the throne of grace, you are trying to find the ability to be Jesus, to be who you need to be in all circumstances to everyone at all times. The best version of a witness of somebody who has been saved from and saved to. That's what you're trying to be. And finding grace is an effort. You've got to look for it. Lord, help me. I know I'm forgiven. I know that I'm, you, you, want, you treat me mercifully, but I need to be graceful to them. I need to be full of grace to my employees. I need to be full of grace to my husband, my spouse. I need to be full of grace to my friends, my children. I need grace to be something different and to do something different so that your kingdom can be more established in my life and others. Lord, help me find it because right now I'm leaning too much on me. But if you get at the throne regularly, if you show up every day, you'd be surprised how much grace you find. This is why you need to get up and read your Bible every day because you wind up at the throne when you read your Bible. That's, that's, that's the map that takes you right to the throne. And then when you're at the throne, you can begin to pray and things are revealed in your own soul that are nasty and you get them out and all of a sudden you're different when you came out, when you come out than when you came in. And now you can face the world with grace. Even when it treats you bad, you can treat it good. When folks are mean to you, you can be kind. Grace fills your soul, but you've got to find it. And the only place it resides is at the throne. You need to get there. And not only is the throne... That at which you come when you come to your devotional life in the morning. But it's a throne. The throne is a place at which you need to live all day long. He's inviting you to live at the throne all day long. To be a court resident. Somebody who abides. What did David say? I see the, the swallows abiding it in your house. Oh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than any place else. And doing anything else. If that's all I could be, I'd be happy. 
God wants you to access his power and ability to become what you could not become on your own and do what you could not do by getting to the throne in a hurry. Can you say amen? amen? Father in heaven, please help us as a people to be the kind of folks that regularly access your throne so that we can find grace to help in the time of need.